Welcome to the Know Your City podcast, where we talk about cities, learn about their leaders, and discuss the issues that are impacting our communities. This podcast is brought to you by Inclusive Action for the City, formerly known as LEARN, a nonprofit community development organization based in Los Angeles. My name is Rudy. Welcome. Today, I'm joined by my co-host. Hey, what's up? It's Lyric. Today's Know Your City guest is someone very special. His name is Alfred Fryho Jr., Alfred is a partner in the Real Estate Land Use and Natural Resources Practice Group at Shepherd Mullen. He is the first openly gay equity partner to serve on the Shepherd Mullen's Executive Committee. He grew up in Bowl Heights and went to Roosevelt High School while also working a weekend job. His hard work got him to Harvard for his undergraduate degree and then Loyola Marymount for his JD. Aside from all this, Alfred has also started many initiatives over the years, including the Honor Pack to get progressive LGBTQ Latinx candidates elected, and of course, Learn. He is the founder of our organization and has spent the last 10 years growing our work, presence, and mission. Welcome, Alfred. Thank you. So, Alfred, you're from Boyle Heights, a really proud community. Um, right now, we are sitting in a nice conference room on the 43rd floor of a building in downtown Los Angeles. How did a boy from Boyle Heights, just over the bridge, make it to this point? It's a great question. You know, I I always um, I feel so fortunate to be in uh, at a firm like Shepherd Mullen, a, a preeminent uh, law firm that was founded in Los Angeles. Uh, to be practicing uh, land use, an area of law that I love and I'm passionate about. I uh, often wonder, you know, what um, an incredible journey and unlikely path um, that I've had that got, had uh, got me to the place that I am. I get a chance to, from my, as you mentioned, the, the 43rd, 48th floor where my office is at, uh, look out and look at the city. I also get a chance to look at, uh, from this um, ivory tower, so to speak, look at Boyle Heights and reflect on uh, my journey and reflect on how far I've come. Um, I remember uh, distinctly um, interviewing for a partner at this firm, um, being the first um, openly gay Latino to be considered uh, for partnership at a 19-year-old uh, business and reflecting on what got me to that point. And uh, so much of it has to do with um, how um, I have um, and everything that I've done uh, pursued excellence and uh, and wanted to also pursue the opportunities um, to be able to improve my community and improve my neighborhood. And I feel like I've, I'm doing that. Um, but in many respects, it does feel like it's uh, far away from home, even though it's not um, too far off from, from Boyle Heights, where we stand today. That's so fascinating, Alfred. We often talk to our family members about the work that we do. Um, and I also know that you have a close relationship with your mom. Can you tell us about your mom and what influence she has on or she had on your education and career decisions? Did she always understand your vision? Well, I feel like, you know, as a Latino, you know, our stories always start with our moms uh, in many ways. Uh, my mom, um, Jesse Landeros Frejo, is, is an incredible woman and has been um, an extraordinary influence in my life for so many reasons. I often think of my mom as, as um, my role model in the sense that she um, defied the odds. And, you know, she was abandoned by her, her mom at birth, um, adopted by um, her aunt, and um, moved from a small ranch 
uh, town in Sinaloa to um, be raised in Tijuana, a border city. And um, growing up, she was a seasonal farm worker working with her mother. Um, when they came to Tijuana, you know, um, my grandmother, who raised my mom as her daughter, um, invented a story about her. She changed her name, got her a new birth certificate, uh, and came up with the story about who she was and who her father was. And um, in so many respects, you know, sort of that notion of reinvention has been in uh, the hallmark of, of our family. Uh, and my mother has really taken that with her. Um, she was a single mother in the 40s and 50s and an entrepreneur. She got a chance to buy property in Tijuana my grandmother, and um, raised my mom with the income that she made from running her own um, uh, cleaning um, business from her home in Tijuana, and then also from the money she made by working the fields in Santana and other cities uh, near the border, and uh, raised my mom. And unfortunately, she suffered from alcoholism, and that was a part of my mother's experience um, growing up. But in all of that, she was, um, I think in many ways, a trailblazer as a single woman making her way in this uh, crazy, I only imagine the crazy border town in Tijuana informed by um, so much of the things that currently even impact our city of Los Angeles, you know, um, the lack of economic opportunity, the struggle of, uh, and, and the, the perseverance around poverty. Um, all of those things really inform my mother's journey. But notwithstanding all of that, the hardships, the physical and emotional abuse, uh, the poverty, my mother was able to come to the United States and forge her own path and forge her own story of reinvention. And my mother always, you know, raised us um, and thinking about the fact that being born into poverty doesn't necessarily mean that you need to end up and continue to be there. You know, that's not... Um, for her, um, it was always about um, wanting to defy the odds. It was always about breaking the cycle, whether it was about physical violence or poverty um, or opportunity, frankly. And uh, she had her first uh, child when she was uh, 15 years old. And uh, she had my sister. And they, after I was born, uh, they moved from Rosemead to Boyle Heights, where I grew up. And even though she only had a sixth grade education, she always emphasized the, the importance of education. Um, and my mother, you know, despite her lack of education, was such a classy woman. She still is. I talked to her about the past tense, but she's alive and well and um, still, you know, driving me crazy. But really, it was this idea of, one, reinvention. The idea that just because you uh, lack education doesn't mean you lack um, elegance. You lack class. You know, you lack class. For her, she's you know a very classy woman, and I and I and I take that with me today. Um, I mentioned reinvention, but I also talk about the fact that she's a chameleon. You know, she can um, be in different spaces and understand um, her value and uh, occupy the space with their own dignity and integrity. And I'm constantly reminded of that in, in my own experience. So Alfred, I'm gonna interject with a question that's, that's, uh, that's sort of uh, in response to what you said, the, the word chameleon is an interesting one because I feel like you're a chameleon of sorts in the sense that you work between worlds. You're still very connected to the community that you care about, but then you're in other spaces where, you know, it's kind of rare to see somebody like you. and. What does your mom say about you and where you are right now? 
she is, she's of course very proud of me. And I remember, um, you know, uh, bringing my mom to the office and um, she had never been in a tall building like the one we're in now. And I remember her being really uh, approaching the elevator with a lot of trepidation and not wanting to look over our um, our windows uh, because she was afraid of the height. And um, it was really kind of a, a, a um, an interesting reminder for me um, that keeps me grounded in the sense that, you know, I have defied the odds in many ways um, and have um, are occupying spaces that uh, my family did not have the opportunity to occupy. And so I always take that as tremendous um, responsibility and an obligation to be as genuine as possible and, and represent my family no matter where I'm at. You know, when I um, was living in San Francisco, I would call, sometimes I would call my sister who was older than me, and, and she would ask me, you know, um, how are you doing? We would get a chance to check in, and she always would ask me, so, so what time is it in San Francisco? And, you know, for me, that was like such an impactful thing because it just reminded me that she had no idea where San Francisco was. You know, she had no sense of like, you know, I was the first one in my family to be in a plane. Um, There was really no sense of like, you know, travel. Um, Travel was a luxury. We often talk about our kids in the in the hood that don't get a chance to even go to the beach. You know, there's areas of LA even that are not accessible to our communities, and um, that was another reminder. You know, I often say that no matter where I'm at and what I'm doing or how many opportunities I have, I just have to come back and visit my family to feel grounded and to be grateful for everything that I have. Is that why you do the community work that you do, Alfred? Because of those uh, those feelings and those values you have you know I, I do I do the community work that I have because I feel like the more opportunities I get the more um, of an obligation I feel to be able to use the resources my education my position of privilege you know being aware of what that privilege is to use that to make the world a better place um, and that's what I try to do so it's inspired by the the urgency that I sense around the need um, and the gap, whether it's, as I mentioned, the education gap or the economic gap in our communities. Um, but it's also my way of giving back. It's also what, my way of making my experience in this, whether it's a law firm or in the work that I do as a professional, meaningful. You know, that that reminds me a lot of LEARN. That sounds a lot, you're describing a lot of the work of LEARN. And so we've heard um, Rudy's story of how LEARN was started, and it was a volunteer organization, and he called it the book club. Can you tell us what you remember about those early days? Like, what prompted the genesis of it? How did it come about? What, what, what did you envision LEARN to be? So, you know, when we, when we started, when we started LEARN, um, there was really no, um, you know, no sort of fantastic vision or, or glorious vision of an organization that would be as impactful as, as LEARN has become. Uh, it really started out of curiosity and a need to fellowship with individuals that I admired and individuals that uh, I found interesting. Um, I reached a point in my career where I felt that uh, it wasn't enough to to do the things that I was doing on a daily basis with my clients. There were issues that I um, 
was struggling with um, in my mind that I wanted to have an impact on. You know, I started with a set of questions uh, when we had our first, one of our first convenings. And, you know, Rudy, and, and it started with a set of questions that fundamentally were about why not? You know, why, why not? Why can't we fix, you know, fill in the blank? Why not can we um, make the issue of planning in Los Angeles more equitable? Why can't we flip the script on who are the experts and who should be leading the discussion around um, community plans or zoning? You know, why, why do the decisions have to be made by folks that are not connected to the individuals that are most packed impacted by those decisions you know it started with a set of questions and and having just the courage to ask them not even to necessarily propose solutions but begin to ask that um, those questions so Alfred um, as listeners probably heard in the intro to this podcast the name of the organization recently changed Alfred and uh, you feel free to tell us how you feel about that but one thing that was key in our discussions with the board uh, was the use of the term urban renewal um, can you talk to us about what was the rationale behind that tell us about um, your perspective on that so you know I of course being really interested in zoning and land use and urban development I was very familiar with the um, incredibly uh, um, damaging policies um, again it goes back to that the 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 point that I was making earlier about who's making decisions you know and we know that um, urban renewal policies from the 60s and 70s were devoid of the input from people marginalized people people of color people that um, you know, operated in, um, um, in, in, in communities sort of outside the radar of those um, people that were in power, in power, privileged individuals, et cetera. And, um, you know, through the course of that work, um, the notion or the term urban renewal became stigmatized. And for me, I identified with that word because as a gay man, the word gay for many uh, years, many you know, decades was also very stigmatized, and the gay community was able to take on that term and appropriate the term. And so I began with that sort of idea of how would it be if an organization appropriated the term urban renewal, if we didn't ask permission, if we didn't necessarily, you know, have to reinvent the wheel, if we said, you know what, we're going to introduce a new concept of urban renewal, we're going to rewrite the story of urban renewal. We're going to be the agents around it. We're going to be the new authors. And I wanted folks, you know, fundamentally also to begin to buck those assumptions and begin to appropriate those terms and also to frankly be a little controversial. You know, we were an organization that was just starting and I wanted to make sure that people, that we provoked people into thinking in the way that we convened our first working group. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, taking back the language and repurposing it for significant good, um, like exactly like you're saying with the term gay. It's really, or the, the word gay. So, And um, the word queer, you know, the other yes. word is, mm-hmm. of course, queer. And so... I mean, Chicano is another example of that, too. Exactly. Yeah. Chicano is another example. And to, to this day, you know, Chicano means different things for different people. And that's part of the that's part of the sort of the beauty of this, right? That um, it's about understanding people's position and, and their reference and and their own perspective on it, and having the openness to dialogue. You know, so much of our discourse right now is so polarized. 
um, and we don't get a chance to meet each other and understand from each other without making some significant assumptions that keep us from connecting. So I'm going to pull off of that idea of polarization. We know that you avoid social media at all costs. And so we want to hear a little bit of the gossip. I still want you to get on Instagram, Alfred. I'm still refusing. Alf- <laughs> Alfred, get IG. New hashtag. Um, so since you don't see the posts, let me tell you, you've been called out as a gentrifier or made out to be an evil developer. How do you feel about that? Can you tell us the gossip? Like, can you share with folks what projects you're working on or why you've decided to reinvest in your community? Well, you know, I I should start off by saying that I've been called worse things. So, um, I, 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 you know, I think that the, 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 the accusations around um, the work that I do um, and come stem from a legitimate concern about change and um, displacement in our communities. The concerns are really legitimate, and I feel personally, you know, connected to that concern. Um, I would hope that people um, get a chance to um, discuss it, and we've had an opportunity as an organization has learned to be able to um, step into the fray, so to speak, and dialogue around the issue of how we might be able to reconcile the issue of change uh, and the issue of neighborhood stability. Um, And frankly, that's the space that I operate in. You know, we talked earlier about how I reconcile my position here, my position of power as a attorney in a private sector law firm, and the work that I do in the community. And honestly, I've uh, never felt conflicted about it. You know, I feel like we should be entitled to operate in those two spaces. Um, and that in the same way that I feel like we should have license to operate in places of power, city hall, um, in other chambers or other private sector areas, um, the same should be true for our communities. You know, there's enough space for diversity. There's enough space for different ways of thinking. Um, I've always operated from a position of faith and opportunity and not a position of fear. And I think that when we operate from a position of fear, we close off ourselves from opportunity in ways that could be damaging to our neighborhoods. So I always think about that in relation to the opposition that comes from, you know, a new coffee shop or the opposition that comes from any type of development in our neighborhoods. For me, I would rather spend my energy and my time introducing those kinds of businesses and those kinds of developments myself. You know, and having that agency, sort of flipping the the the, the script in a way, and um, rather than focused on opposition, focusing on my own opportunities for development. Mm. Well, Alfred, I think that the um, some of these topics that we've had internally at the organization, at the board level, with the staff, have been um, really you know opportunities for growth. And I think that um, I feel that I've grown more because you've been here with us and you've been leading the board. And I think that um, if I don't say this later in the podcast, I want to say thank you for helping us get smarter and thinking about this and really getting into the arena on this topic, you know? And um, I feel like, you know, we're better for it, you know? And I think that at times we haven't agreed on everything, but it's like, it's made us better, you know? And it makes us better servants for the community too. And, and I think, so 
you're transitioning away from the board. Uh, you're stepping down from a long service as board chairman. Uh, you're going to be a founder emeritus of Learn. And I want to talk to you, Alfred, about um, can you tell us uh, what has been your favorite part of the board and what has been your least favorite uh, part of serving as board chair? Well, th- thank you, Rudy. I appreciate your, your I, 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 you know, that I um, love Learn and um it's so, and you know, a big part of who I am, and it's I, I frankly, I'm struggling with the idea that I am going to be transitioning um, off the board and and um, transitioning out of my my active participation in in the business of learn, but I also see it as an opportunity, um, an opportunity to you know um, open up a chair, a position for somebody else. And, um, that's really, I think, um, the important part of, of leadership and being a leader is to allow other people to step in into your shoes and, and, um, not necessarily think that, um, you know, have pride of authorship and not allow other people, other ideas to thrive. And, and even though we've had always a diversity of ideas on the board, I do think that energizing it with new blood is going to be a critical piece of it. Um, and so I leave, you know, the, the board and, and the organization very optimistic, um, very grateful, uh, to have been part of this, uh, amazing, amazing journey, um, uh, to this and, uh, you know, that's brought us to this point. Um, the thing that's been most exciting to me, frankly, has been, I would say, two things. Number one, it has been the relationships that I've built uh, and the friendships that I've built with you and other board members. I think those relationships um, are founded on uh, um, love and respect for each other, but also love for community. Um, you know, we started the organization with a concept that we wanted to be experimental. We started with the concept that we were not afraid to fail. We started with the concept that um, so long as we used our communities um, and relied on them and their expertise, that whatever policy positions that we were going to propose were going to be good ones. And um, we saw that. We saw that from our street vendor initiative when we started thinking about um, um, our our community and, and folks that were under the radar and operating in informal economies and started with honoring them and their work and thinking how valuable that was not only for our neighborhoods but for the entire city and, and look at what we've done. The thing that's, I think, been challenging is is honestly um, has been the, the system, the current systems around funding uh, with organizations like ours. You know, uh, the fact that as many partners as we've made, there's still a lot of folks that are relying on true and tested concepts that are funding those that are not taking as many risks. Um, you know, and it's really, I would, I would challenge the institutions that um, support organizations in L.A., the larger foundations, to take more risks. Um, I think other organizations that have come and learned stead. Um, that have learned from us, that model themselves from us, are also struggling to get funding from large institutions. And I want to encourage the I want to encourage the foundations and the larger grant making organizations to um, take more risks. You know, we keep saying that we can't continue to do the same things and expect different results. And um, we need to have people in power with big purses to be able to finance. Um, we're doing it in the private sector. You know, we talk about Silicon Valley and all the money that gets invested into um, startups and those organizations that, frankly, may not be as viable, but because they have a good idea, they attract investment. 
uh, I'd like to have the uh, good ideas that we have coming from our neighborhoods attract the same kind of investment. You know, your work and your legacy and your good ideas are what built the foundation of the work that we do right now. How do you think this will manifest in the coming years? Where do you see this organization going? We really want one more piece of advice from you. <laughs> you know, we started, we, 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 you know, we were, we were, and I think Rudy is, is reminding us of this many times, is the idea that, um, you know, we started with the word network in our name. And, and what I think th- for us that meant was we were going to be an organization that connected people, that connected people with uh, different ideas, that connected people with opportunity, but also connected people with each other. And I think that um, if we can continue to sort of stay genuine to that root, starting the organization on that notion of connecting people and continue to grow that, we've definitely done that with Plus Two. Um, and if we can continue to do that, give people the space um, to convene and learn from each other on topics that of interest to each other, I think we'll be a stronger organization for it. So, Alfred, you're going to have one less meeting every month. What are you going to do with all your free time? <laughs> I'm going to spend more time with my son, Santiago. Mm. Right on. That's a good answer, sir. Yeah. So thank you so much, Alfred, for all of the work that you've done for Learn the Way that you've you've built the organization. You've brought on new team members. You've seen so many different phases of this organization. We really appreciate it, and we're really looking forward to having you as a a board emeritus. Founder emeritus. Founder emeritus. Excuse me. Um, It sounds old and dusty, but I'll take it. (laughs) It sounds old and dusty, but also really cool. Um. As you know, this is the Know Your City podcast, so we usually ask what you consider to be your city and what do you want listeners to know about it. So can you tell us, what is your favorite part of Los Angeles and what do you want listeners to know? Uh, One of my favorite parts of Los Angeles is El Mercadito. You know, it has so many amazing components of what makes a city successful. You know, it has entrepreneurs, it has color, it has a lot of different types of food, a lot of different types of sounds, it has really precious things, it has, um, you know, everything you can need for your house, including cooking stuff and, you know, personal attire, furnitures, furnishings, etc. And it has that secret sauce that runs through the veins of every Angelino, you know, which is a passion for, like, life. Life thrives in El Mercadito, in the little like nooks and crannies of that subterranean area. Um, and every time I go there, I get a shot of energy, you know, and um, and I get hope. Well, Alfred, you um, thank you so much for being part of this podcast episode, sir. And um, I won't. I mean, I'll continue to see you, but <laughs> I want to say thanks again for your service to our organization. And you are also life. Um, if anybody has visited Alfred at his office, he walks around the halls and he is lighting up the, the, the alleyways and the runways here um, and the way he treats people and the way that he puts passion into his work. And uh, we are excited to uh, work with him in a different way uh, moving forward. So thanks again, sir. Thank you, Rudy. I'm, I'm just glad that you invited me to the podcast. You know, I was... I'm so honored to to be part of it after hearing Maria Cabildo and other luminaries like Maria Elena Durazo, you know, that um, women that I admire. So I'm glad to be in, in the same, thought of in the same cohort. 
thanks for listening to the Know Your City podcast. Please don't forget to rate, review, or you know, leave a comment. And if you want to donate, you could find us at inclusiveaction.org. Thanks again.